Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to the Determined Truth Podcast. Uh, this series of podcasts, we're going to be studying the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, I encourage you to do so by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth Podcast. Mark chapter 9 now begins the journey of Jesus and his disciples to Jerusalem. We, the, the reader, know what's about to happen. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's already told his disciples he's going to suffer many things and be killed and be raised on the third day. But as we discussed last time, the disciples are still growing in their understanding. that They see men, but like they're, they're like trees in the healing of the blind man in Bethsaida. As Peter's confession that you are the Christ, but it was followed immediately by Jesus' explanation that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. I'm not going to be the kind of Messiah that you are thinking of yet. Now, you can imagine this is going to be difficult for the disciples, and, and, uh, and especially after the crucifixion of Jesus, they're going to be struggling with understanding everything that's going on. Um, and so what's going to happen for them after the death of Jesus is they're going to be reminded of, of the things that have transpired. So immediately in Mark chapter 9, Mark tells us now about the story of what's called the transfiguration. It says, uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 2, After six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. Now the episode of the transfiguration of Jesus is a preview of Jesus' glory. It's showing the disciples, particularly Peter, James, and John, hey, listen, as we go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, be reminded of this, of what you have seen. You know, you've seen the Father proclaim me as, as, as the Son of God. Uh, this is my beloved Son. You've seen me in my glory. Just remember that, uh, because there's going to come a time where you're going to begin to doubt. You're going you're to begin to question. You're going to begin to wonder uh, what's actually going on. Uh, verse 9 says, as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. They, discussed, they, they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead might mean. They asked him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first and restore all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. Now, the story of Moses and Elijah being transfigured alongside Jesus, of course, reminds us of the, the Law and the Prophets. Uh, the Law and the Prophets is a Jewish way of, of referring to the entirety of what we would call the Old Testament. Moses represents the Law, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then the rest of the Old Testament is referred to as the Prophets. Even though for us we kind of distinguish poetry and historical books, they just kind of looked at everything from Joshua through Malachi as the Prophets. Now, there'll be a couple instances where they might call it the, the Law of the Prophets and the Writings. But nonetheless, the Law and the Prophets is this Jewish way of referring to the entirety of the Old Testament witness. And the two representatives of the Law and the Prophets are Moses and Elijah. Now, remember, there has to be two witnesses for the credibility and trustworthy of any testimony. 
Now, an interesting question that we really have no answer to is, how did, Mo how did Peter and the disciples know that it was Moses and Elijah? After all, they had no photos of, of them and they hadn't seen them for thousands of years, or, you know, hundreds of years at least in the case of Elijah and over a thousand in the case of Moses. How do they know what they look like? Well, it's quite possible that maybe part of the story was that Moses identified himself and Elijah identified himself. And, and Mark just doesn't tell us uh, in the narrative of, 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 of the gospel that, oh, by the way, this, you know, they came with name tags on and I saw his name tag or they identified, hey, this is Moses and hey, I'm Elijah. We have no idea uh, how they were actually identified. But nonetheless, it's the testimony of these two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, the representatives of the Old Testament testimony, now showing us who Jesus is. But as they were coming down from the mountain, uh, he said, don't tell anyone what's happened until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. And again, note the secrecy is going to increase, especially here in the second half of the Gospel of Mark. And that's because the Pharisees and religious leaders already want Jesus dead. If they, if they knew that Jesus was acknowledging to his disciples that he really was the Christ, they would have had him put to death right away. Remember, a messianic pretender is going to cause trouble for all of the Israelites. If someone proclaims himself to be the Messiah, that means a rival king to Rome. And you can imagine that Rome's going to come in and stomp that person out. Now, if the Pharisees thought that Jesus was legitimately a, 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 a Messiah, maybe they would have rallied the people around them and put up a fight against Rome. But if they don't believe that he really is the Messiah, and we know that the Pharisees are in opposition from chapter 3 in the Gospel of Mark, they want him dead, then they're not going to allow Jesus to kind of get away with proclaiming himself to be the Messiah because Rome will come in and punish everybody. So they felt that uh, their own responsibility to them, that not just the Pharisees, but all of the uh, leader, leader, religious and political leaders in Jerusalem, to put Jesus away if he really were confessing himself to be the Messiah. So don't let anybody know what's going on. But now for the second time, uh, Jesus tells the disciples, uh, here's what's going to happen. Uh, uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Now, uh, the disciples again are grappling with this. It's in verse 9, he says, uh, don't tell anyone until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. Verse 10 says, they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead might mean. Uh, skipping for a moment to the end of uh, Mark chapter 9. Jesus again in verse 31 says, He was teaching his disciples, saying, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and when he's been killed, he will, he will rise three days later. And they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask. The, the notion of a rising Messiah doesn't make sense for a couple of reasons. One, because a rising Messiah presumes a dead Messiah, and a dead Messiah doesn't make any sense. Messiah is a Hebrew word. The Greek equivalent is Christ, and the English is the anointed one. It's a title for the king. How can you be the king and die? A dead king doesn't make sense. The second reason why this doesn't make any sense is because the idea of rising from the dead was a foreign concept for the Jewish world at this time. Now, the Jewish world, the Pharisees in particular, believed in resurrections. But their belief in resurrection was that, that God would raise all men up at the end of time. Both the righteous and the wicked, everyone will be resurrected for Judgment Day only at the end of time. Therefore, the idea of an individual person rising from the dead before the end of time, it just didn't exist. It was a foreign concept to them. It wouldn't have made any sense. Uh, and so you see the disciples grappling with this idea of rising from the dead. What does this mean? Um, and interestingly, they were afraid to ask them. Perhaps they'd been rebuked too many times by Jesus for not understanding his words, uh, uh, as it were. Verse 14 then, Mark chapter 9. Uh, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd. 
uh, around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And when he asked them, what are you discussing with them? One of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and, and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. Amazingly, the, disciple, the essence of the kingdom of God is the defeat over evil and of the evil one. The disciples are still grasping this and grappling with this and not fully understanding what's going on. At the same time, it's not their fault. Jesus is explaining the fact that without faith uh, and prayer, they're not going to understand these things. So as they continue to grow in understanding who Jesus is, and what it means to be a disciple. They're going to have to continue to come to a greater and greater and deeper understanding of, of faith and the role of prayer. Jesus says in verse 19, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Verse 21, it says, How long has this been happening to him? And, and uh, they said, Well, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So we see that this coming of Jesus and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is the defeat over evil and the defeat over the devil. But at the same time, for us to understand, it takes faith. And in particular, it takes prayer. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You deaf and dumb spirit. I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When he had come into the house, the disciples began questioning Jesus privately saying, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So the need for faith and trust in Jesus as well as prayer. Now, verse 30 says, from there on, they went out and began to go through Galilee. So now they're heading from uh, Caesarea Philippi, uh, uh, up in the far north, down south, around the Sea of Galilee for one more journey, and then on to the city of Jerusalem. Now, we already looked at the next episode in this chapter where Jesus goes on to again explain to his disciples that he's going to be delivered in the hands of men, and killed and raised on the third day. Two more brief episodes conclude this chapter. Verse 33, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he should be last of all, and servant of all. And taking a child, he sent him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me but him who sent me. Now it's very interesting, this story of the disciples discussing with one another who, which one of them is the greatest, follows right after Jesus' third proclamation that, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And then the disciples are disputing as to which one of them was the greatest, clearly indicating again that they still don't fully understand who Jesus is and what his kingdom is all about. I, I see people, but they look like trees. They're still growing in their understanding. If you want to be first, you should be last and the servant of all. The, the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom is now becoming clearer to them a little bit, one step at a time. In the, in the kingdoms of the world, 
Those who are first are first, and those who are last are last. But in my kingdom, the first shall be last, and the last uh, shall be first. John, uh, verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to hinder him because he was not following us. And Jesus said, Don't hinder him, for there's no one who shall perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall not lose a reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, to who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone hung around his neck and he had been cast into the sea. And if your hand caused you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell in the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your foot caused you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have your two feet to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your eye caused you to stumble, cut it off, cast it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. For everyone will, um, will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but the salt becomes unsalty. With what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now we begin to see again the nature of Jesus' kingdom. The nature of Jesus' kingdom is identified by following him, and ultimately, not by being one of the disciples themselves, uh, but, but by a, a, allegiance to Jesus. We tried to stop this guy from casting out demons. Now remember, a little earlier in the chapter, the disciples couldn't actually cast a demon out of somebody. I told your disciples to do it, and they could not do it. And now somebody else, who's not one of the disciples, is casting out demons, and the disciples are like, hey, stop that, stop that. Uh, they're rebuking that, the man for doing the very thing that they themselves were not able to do. Jesus' answer, however, is, if a miracle is done in my name, not just in my name, but, but by truly being a follower of Jesus, then they will not be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Now, it's important to connect what Jesus has just said with, with this particular passage. He said in verse 35, if anyone wants to be first, he should be last of all and the servant of all. The Aramaic word for servant is the same word for child. So uh, if someone wants to be the servant of all, they, they must welcome children. Uh, they must give a cup of water because you belong to Christ. And then there's a warning, don't cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, a little child is a disciple of Christ, but that doesn't mean the disciples are to be like children but they are to be like Christ who receives children. Uh, uh, the way we respond to them is the way we, re way we respond to God. This is found explicitly in Matthew 25, that whatever you did for these brothers of mine, uh, you did for me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.